Hi, I'm Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology. I hope you are all doing well and healthy during the coronavirus pandemic. Today, I'm pleased to be speaking to Dr. Roberto Curicchio, who is Chief of the Division of Rheumatology at the Lewis Katz Medical School, Temple University, who with Dr. Gerald Kreiner, who's the Chair of Thoracic Medicine and Surgery at the same institution, are the authors of a research letter entitled, Rheumatologists and Pulmonologists at Temple University Weather the COVID-19 Storm Together. This research letter is available via open access at the journal's website at jroom.org. Dr. Crickio, I want to thank you and Dr. Kreiner for writing your research letter and for joining me and agreeing to discuss how Temple University Hospital has been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. So start with the questions. So to my knowledge and correct me, the combined input of thoracic medicine and rheumatology to treat patients with COVID-19 is unique, at least certainly formalized, and you can explain, please explain to me why Temple had decided on this approach. Yes, so first of all, thank you for uh, having me here. It's, uh, it's always nice to uh, talk across the border. And um, so, yeah, well, yeah, we are in a way uh, uh, rare, I would say, unique. Uh, I'll take a unique, but we, we, we are not completely unique. In fact, I mean, a recent, uh, a recent survey by the American College of Rheumatology on this very topic found that, yes, a minority of rheumatology sections and divisions in the United States uh, have actually collaborated fully with the uh, with, uh, uh, lung institutes or centers to actually approach uh, COVID-19 infection, uh, which is obviously uh, primarily a lung disease. Nevertheless, it is a systemic at some point with uh, uh, major organ involvement uh, as, well, as well. And so uh, why I was... Uh, we were in the rheumatology section, uh, 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 the, the lucky ones. Well, I said uh, there are several factors that played uh, played uh, in these uh, in these events. So first of all, I the the entire Temple Institution, uh, the university, uh, uh, prepared itself to the pandemic. We were watching from uh, from Europe. Uh, what was going on, what were the, the news that were coming and, and then watching New York State, uh, what the, the pandemic going there. So in that period, which was February, end of February, Temple prepared itself uh, to the pandemic in a way uh, that by redeploying basically an entire structure of the, of the complex. So one building at Temple University was transformed in an ICU uh, uh, structure. Uh, eight floors of ICU to 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 make up for uh, the numbers that we were anticipating, which were roughly 300 a day, uh, 250, 300 a day uh, uh, worth of patients needing of ICU care, and so there was there was happening at the end of February and the first two weeks of March. Meanwhile, I was actually recovering from uh, abdominal surgery at the end of uh, February, <laughs> and I was on my family leave the first, uh, medical leave the first two weeks. I was watching, of course, learning about this, uh, this, this uh, condition, and of course, quickly noticed that the medications that they were at some point used in China and then later on in Italy, were biologics that rheumatologists usually employ in a variety of conditions, including cytokine storms, which I have an interest in. And so in mid-February, I reached out to Jerry, Dr. Kreiner, 
um, mentioning him the fact that those medications were rheumatological and that we had a great expertise, of course, experience, and if we could be of help. Um, and um, he mailed me back that evening on the 15th saying, well, why don't you participate to our call? So meanwhile, they were having daily updates on our restructuring the Temple University to make front of, of uh, for the pandemic. And so at 4.30, I went on board. I prepared the presentation for them. There were roughly at that point up to 200 individuals on that daily meeting of at 4.30. I prepared a presentation on the uh, uh, cytokine storms that occur under certain circumstances, such as HLA, HLH, MAS, and, and the, the, the CAR T cell cytokine storm as well, secondary to CAR T cells, and uh, made the case to say, hey, uh, this is what uh, is uh, is used in, uh, in Italy and in Europe in general, but also some data from China. I think we should all together approach this disease, not always, of course, but under certain circumstances with those mitigations. Um, and so it began. That's great. Very good foresight. You know, you really have to be prepared if you're going to do something well. And so, we had, uh, yes, we had really one week after the 15th of, of March, because the week after, by the 21st, we were having 10 to 15 patients admitted a day. Wow. That's impressive. Yes. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, because it was very taxing for everybody. Sure. In the research letter, you mentioned that you've treated several hundred patients in the combined approach and that 92 percent, I was impressed, of the hospitalized patients went home. Yes. So, yes, yes, it was. Um, we had a, at this 430 phone call with roughly, again, 200, patients, 200 individuals. And by the way, those 200 individuals uh, were not by any stretch of imagination only part of the thoracic uh, uh, medicine surgery department. No, no, no. There were uh, multiple teams. We were uh, uh, involved in the cytokine storm treatment, um, by which we helped uh, in, uh, recognizing it by having daily laboratory markers uh, to be drawn on day zero, actually from the emergency room. Um, so we helped in that in that regard too. But also the cardiology team was on board. The infectious disease was on board. Uh, um, the nephrology team was on board. Being these patients uh, highly, uh, uh, that the, there is a higher percentage incidence of patients in, uh, in with uh, chronic kidney disease or end stage renal disease. Uh, so there were a variety of teams. Uh, neurology because of the neurological manifestations and gastroenterology. Um, so it was not just rheumatology, it was a very inclusive approach to, to the COVID-19. And, um, and so every day we were receiving uh, uh, um, 20 to 30, at some point 40 patients a day actually admitted uh, for a couple of weeks. And uh, what happened is that based on the protocol that we set up, and there was, yes, the lab work, but also a high-resolution CT besides the nasal swab for for the RTP-CR, um, the patient was diagnosed either at, at various stages, severity stages. So um, if the patient was just having some oxygen need and uh, the ground glass opacity now classic, uh, it would have stayed in the hospital for a few days, most likely, with the, with the, the you know, now classic combination, which is <laughs> azithromycin from Desvir. Um, and in our case, we did give some low-dose steroids, as now everybody else is doing. Um, and uh, many of those patients, after, after a few days with really uh, extensive uh, respiratory support, would have gone home. But there were this fraction, which is roughly 20%, 25%, 
who went on in developing a much more systemic inflammatory response. And so uh, the pulmonologists were aware of that because we, with the, with the uh, presentations that we gave them, we basically trained them in recognizing that. And if that was the case, they would have consulted rheumatology and we went, we would have gone through the type of therapy that their patient would have been more suited for. And that right. amounted to roughly yeah, 300 patients, 250. Yeah. Right. So you said that you now, you know, you have your protocol. And I know certainly worldwide, and I'm sure throughout the US, Canada, and these big collaborations, are you now part of trials for the drugs? And you mentioned some of the drugs, and I'm sure the anticytokines. So. Yes, so oh, no, uh, quite a few actually. So um, the patients that we were, uh, uh, the rheumatology was consulted were those that, yes, certainly had these features of uh, systemic inflammation, hyperimmune response, um, but also either did not fit uh, the clinical trials that we were or are participating or just they didn't want to have the placebo uh, uh, risk, uh, which is understandable. So, um, yes, now we participate, yes, we participate in quite a few. So um, uh, for the, the pulmonary team, they uh, set up uh, trials with uh, not just remdesivir for the first wave of remdesivir trials, but also uh, sarilumab. Uh, which is uh, another one, another anti-L6 receptor inhibitor. We are part of the tuzilizumab trial, uh, two of them, uh, the gemcilumab, the anti-GMCF uh, trial, um, uh, with the canakinumab, the anti-interleukin-1 beta trial, which just finished the uh, recruiting as much as also for sarilumab, where has been finished the recruitment. Um, and, um, and we are most likely uh, get on board uh, with the Anakinra and um, uh, which are trying to uh, reproduce the phase one that they did uh, in uh, in Italy. Um, so so and, and most likely uh, soon we'll be also part. Actually, no, we've been already selected for the uh, Bacitinib uh, clinical trial. Uh, of course, you know, um, and we we have a tremendous success in uh, recruiting. It's like almost half. Uh, at the population that was offered. I think we're looking into that and there would be publications on, on that because our population is by, uh, uh, by far minority. So we have roughly 80% of the population is minority of which of this 80%, uh, 70, 65 is uh, African-American and the rest is Hispanic. So um, I think the pandemic and really the lack of uh, mediations that we know for sure they work um, have pushed individuals to actually be more open to, to clinical trials because it's either that, although we did offer the alternative, which was the same thing, but outside of clinical trial, but, uh, but nevertheless, uh, I think the success was also that part, that, that the pandemic might change minds um, because of the availability of medications. Um, we did use uh, hydroxychloroquine, but only for two weeks. Um, it took some time before uh, starting the use. Uh, we couldn't really, I, I, uh, yeah, we couldn't really agree if yes or not. And I, I was a partially skeptical, a skeptical, but skeptical. Sorry, um, but um, but we used only few in few patients, in very few patients. So you know, with the cytokine storm, the analogy, as you said, is MAH 
MASHLH, whatever you want to call it, hyperimmune, hyperactive immune system. And I think what you were saying, I think the key to it is what you're doing. It always struck me with these diseases that it seems like the people who do worse are always a day behind. So to test everybody to look for ferritin, the other markers that we know are associated with cytokine storm when they enter, I agree is the weight, and maybe that's why your patients are doing well. That's just, you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. What's your gut feeling about IL-1 versus IL-6 blockade if in a patient not entering a trial? Um, well, actually, we are preparing our experience. Um, yeah. we, we, um, we are writing as we speak. And you know, as, as preliminary, uh, because we treated, we have patients that we treated with tozilizumab and patients that so with anti-IL-6 and patients that we treated with anti-IL-1 outside of clinical trials. And um, uh, we are not seeing much of a difference. Now, it is a prospective uh, work, uh, obviously, uh, and outside of a clinical trial. So uh, we might have been biased to, with one toward the other, and we are analyzing the data as such. And by that, I mean, uh, so if you look back a month ago, up two months ago, which seems, uh, you know, the, the 1950 at this point, <laughs> for our longest, bit, the terrible. But um, so if you had looked at the clinical trials in March on, 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 in, in the world, the tocilizumab trials, so the anti-IL-6 trials, were really targeting the lung. So the criteria were mostly lung severity. While the few emerging from Italy with the anti-IL-1 blockage were not just looking at the lung, but also at the inflammatory markers. And that's what we replicated at Temple. Okay, so despite we were looking at inflammatory markers, there might be a bias toward not just you know toward the lung rather than than the, than the inflammatory markers one versus the other. But what I can tell you is that for the preliminary data that I have, we did not see much of a difference in terms of you know relative success because fortunately and unfortunately we do not have a control uh, group. We, we we treated everybody that we needed to treat. Of course. We, control, we, we have a control group for what has been published, and I think it, 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 we look pretty good in that terms, certainly. Yeah, it, you know, I'm not surprised. It does remind me a lot of what I'm used to with systemic JIA, you know. They both work well. They don't work in everybody, but if you took oh, yeah, no. one of them, it's going to work in two-thirds of the patients and probably the flip one, you never know. So it's so my gut. So it's interesting that... Um, Tanakinumab was used because, you know, the nice beauty of IL-1 blockade with Anakinra is the half-life and you can just ramp it up how the safety is so good of increasing it. But we'll see. We'll see. We need well, to I, mean, I did not, I, I, I specifically mentioned the Anakinra and the Tozilizumab because I cannot comment on Tanakinumab because all the 30 patients that we had were all in clinical trials. So no, that, yeah. that is not something that we published before, no, before Novartis uh, we decided to do so. So uh, that I cannot comment. But for the Anakinra and Tosilizma, there is no particular difference. Um, and um, and the, the, the other thing that I would add is that uh, we, are, we are 
being very carefully now to present this uh, um, cohort because, as I mentioned, well, that we have a very large part of minorities and also a much higher, uh, compared to other uh, uh, cohorts, much higher incidence of uh, uh, diabetes, uh, renal disease, um, um, COPD, uh, coronary artery disease is, is much obesity is, is is much higher in our population, which which in a way makes us uh, um, uh, feel good about what we were able to do because they tend to have worse disease. Absolutely. Well, that was great. Is there anything you'd like to add that we might have missed or parting? Yes, we we yeah. I'd like to add something and two things actually. Uh, sure. The first thing is. Uh, the fact that I didn't say enough, I didn't mention enough, how inclusive Jerry, Dr. Kreiner, the chair of the thoracic medicine surgery was. I understand from talking to my colleagues uh, in rheumatology around the country that that doesn't happen very often. Uh, somehow there isn't much of a communication or, or you know, an established line of communication right. that might, might help both. And uh, I cannot emphasize enough how inclusive he he has been and uh, and continue continues to be and that has been key, very key to to our collaboration and great experience you now and 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 professional uh, professional uh, satisfaction of feeling that we we, we you know we we belonged to to this effort uh, we as a rheumatologists uh, that that I cannot say enough good things about that uh, frankly. And um, and the other thing, though, is that it, what I did find very important is that to explain myself why we could have been of help. Certainly, I was given a chance, but if that chance is given or or in a way pushed to be given, uh, uh, I think it's also important to be humble and you know be be part of this disease as helpers because ultimately it is a disease of the lung. Um, and it is an infectious disease. <laughs> so, so you know, the rheumatologist, uh, and in fact, in several meetings in which we invited uh, uh, speakers to let us know of new uh, approaches that we might have uh, uh, used, I, I, you know, I asked questions, and they all wondered what, what, what's a rheumatologist doing here? Um, but, but it makes more, a lot of sense. We rheumatologists nowadays, nowadays, we need to be also good immunologists. Otherwise, we, you know, we become less knowledgeable for sure. I mean, all these biologics, they pinpoint uh, immune, all, Im immune mechanisms, and it, it's wonderful. But, but we need also to demonstrate that that's what we are. We are not just rheumatologists. We are also immunologists. And, um, and given that chance, I think uh, many more could, could collaborate with, uh, with, uh, with pulmonology and infectious diseases. But I must say that my trick was to have such an inclusive uh, personality and uh, and be ready to help. I mean, I didn't get a day off since March 15. Uh, yeah, that's care. I know it's what happens when you're wanted. See, it's good to be wanted. And then there's the downside. But I think it's fantastic. And I agree with what you said. I was just so impressed when you said there were 200 people. You know, yeah, yeah. That, oh, that's a very big division. I was teasing. I'm just teasing you that you have 150 people, and you know, 100 and 100. No, I knew you had to have everybody, but that's great that the leaders, you need leadership. I agree 100%. You need a good leader, and you need, and everybody has to know their role. 
what 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 are you good at? What do you know? What you don't know? And I just say they die of lung disease. And that's not what we do, but we do understand. I agree completely. What these molecules are capable of doing. Yes. And I, and I think, and I think your contribution to getting on the hyper immune system, the HLH like cytokine storm, is really our expertise. And I agree. So I think it was fantastic. Thank but you. Temple, and I really wish it happened everywhere. You know. And I want to thank you very much. This is very. It was very enlightening for me, and it's nice to see that people talk to each other and get up and collaborate because we can't, a disease like this, we can't live in our islands, but we can't do that for anything. So, Absolutely. Thank you, again. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank you, and I want to encourage everybody who's been listening, please read the research letter entitled Rheumatologists and Pulmonologists at Temple University Weather the COVID-19 Storm Together, as well as other editorials, articles, and research letters about SARS-CoV-19 infection and COVID-19 disease and its effect implications for rheumatologists, internist world, and rheumatology practice. And we can see how it certainly affected Temple the rheumatologists at Temple who don't get time off anymore. So, and so please read the article at www.gu.org slash COVID-19. If you have any comments or questions, please message us at Twitter, Twitter at, at jroom, or email us at manuscripts at jroom.com. And thank you for joining us and continue to follow all the regional national guidelines from your health authorities and be sure to maintain social distancing to stay, to stay safe. And you can see how far myself and Roberto are. So we have a good social distancing. And thanks, Roberto. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Earl.